Father in heaven, thank you for this Sabbath day that we can come here to praise and worship you, Lord. I ask that the words in this message be yours and that they guide and touch somebody today. In your name I pray, amen. All right, first things first, I want to make sure that I can get this clicker to work. So I was told to aim that way, and it, okay, perfect. All right, I can know which way to go. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Philip. I'm uh, Philip Summers. I actually just moved here about a year ago. Um, you've, if you have been here before, you've probably seen myself and my wife. We usually sit up here in this corner here. Uh, my wife is a teacher at our uh, local Adventist Christian school. And um, today, my message is about grace. And something that you should know about me before uh, I kind of get into this is that uh, I am not uh, a trained pastor by any means, okay? So, um, you know, if you've been going to church for a long time, you probably see, you know, your pastor's up there, and he's not really looking down at his notes. He's looking straight at you because he's been doing it for years and years. No, no, I have not been doing this for years and years, so a lot of times I'm going to be looking down. Um, and something that I learned when I was in sales a long time ago was that, you know, in order to make sure you get your point across, if you're not comfortable with what you're about to say, if you're unfamiliar, just read your notes word for word. You know, the person that is listening to you will probably appreciate a lot more because they're not going to have as many questions about it. So uh, if you see me looking down, it's because I'm literally printed off my sermon word for word of how I'd like it to come out. Um, but we'll see how that goes. Um, so today, we'll start off with, if I gave you a random day in your lifetime, okay? So obviously first, I would need to know what year you were born. But if I gave you a random day, would you happen to remember what happened on that day? Okay. Now, there is a chance I probably would get lucky and I would pick maybe like your anniversary or the day you got married, the day you, first, you had your first child, um, you know, or maybe it was some special birthday. I might get lucky with that. Or I could pick a day that you probably don't want to remember in your life, right? Maybe something bad happened that day. Maybe you did something to someone and it's just been weighing on you, you know. So what if I asked you, or what if I said this? If Jesus came to you face-to-face -face and he gave you just a random day, a seemingly random day, I bet that in your mind, I know for me that's how it would be, I would be thinking, what bad thing did I do on that day? That's literally the first thing I'm going to think of. What bad thing, thing did I do that I have to answer for right now? And the thing is, the point of this sermon, in which I'm going to keep driving home, is it doesn't matter if you remember or not what happened on that day. What matters is that you remember that God has given you something that covers you when you have sinned or have done something wrong and you forget about it. So the first verse I have is found in Ephesians 2, chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. 
not a result of works so that no one may boast. And the second verse I have to go along with it is Romans 3, 23, 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So it says plain as day right there that the, the free gift of grace. But the thing is, this free gift, the, the idea that it's a free gift, it's what we have a problem with. You know, we start asking questions like, how do I get this free gift? What do I have to do to get it? Because the thing is, in today's day and age, if someone says something is free, first thing you think of, or at least I do, probably not really free. There's probably something attached to it that, you know, I'm going to be tied to for some reason for a number of years. But if you look up grace in the dictionary, you know, you kind of have to go through a few definitions, but then you find the Christian version of grace, and it means to, it means the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of, of blessings. But many still do not understand this free gift of grace. And we just feel like we have to do something in order to get it. And I know that, you know, there's a whole mix of people and I, in this crowd today and that are listening, and I don't know most of you. So if you've been to church before, you've probably heard a sermon like this about how you, you don't have to do anything to get the free gift of grace. That's, that's the point of it. But even though I've heard that sermon many, many times, there's still a part of me that says, I don't understand. There's got to be something I have to do. So this idea of grace, it goes back all the way to when you were a kid. You might have been taught this in school, for example. So a story I have to go along with this, and, the, and something you'll see if um, you come to any of my sermons, is that I go into a lot of narrative to help paint a broad picture, to help you imagine uh, the situation, the story. So the story I have for this for kids is that there's a story of a Christian man who saw an ad to volunteer at his local Christian school. Sounds pretty familiar if you've uh, read the emails from the church or if you know what's happening in our local Christian school. Um, but when he called the school to inquire about the ad, he was told that they need volunteers for the kindergarten class. You see, the teacher needs a break because he uh, the teacher actually started to talk to erasers and inanimate objects. Uh, he's going kind of crazy, so he just needs just some time alone to himself. If you've taught kindergartners before, you've probably talked to something inanimate before as well. The man agreed to volunteer, and the very next day upon entering the classroom, he only counted five students. Now, five students doesn't sound too bad, right, to those that are not teachers. But if you are a teacher and you've taught kindergarten, five students can still mean the same as 20 or 100, especially if they're kindergartners, right? Okay. Uh, so they were at their desk coloring, being quiet. So when he entered, he decided that he's going to look over the daily schedule. What is his responsibilities and duties for that day? So the first thing that he sees is they're supposed to have worship, okay? So he decides, oh, man, what can, I, what can I teach these kids about you know, is, is there any notes here? He looks around for notes. He doesn't see any notes, so he thinks, well, an easy story for kids to learn, and many have probably been familiar with, is the story of Zacchaeus. Now, there's a song that goes along with the story of Zacchaeus, right? So he gathers the kids around. He starts to 
kind of sing the song a little bit. You know, uh, Zacchaeus is, was a man in Jesus' time. He asks, and he says, you know, to the kids, do you know who Zacchaeus is? Are you familiar with this story? And one kid pipes up, yeah, I know what a zucchini is. My, my mom makes bread out of that all the time. He, teacher says, the, the man says, no, 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 Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he's a human. He's, he's a person. This is his name. And in Jesus' time, Zacchaeus, going along with the song, was a wee little man. And one little kid, he stand up, and he goes, oh, yeah, I know what wee means. And he starts to stand up and show how, that, how men can go wee standing up. Uh, the volunteer, he gets them all quieted back down. He says, no, 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 we means little in this case. So thinking quickly on his toes, uh, he decides to change the song a little bit. Zacchaeus was just a little man. He leaves out the word we. Just a little man, and a little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Immediately another kid pipes up. Why is the tree sick? You know, is, did he get it more sick because he climbed into the tree? Again, he has to stop his story and explain that, no, the sycamore tree is a type of tree, and because Zacchaeus is a little person and not as tall as other people, he has to climb into the tree in order to see Jesus. Another kid immediately pipes up, oh, Jesus is coming. This is great. Is what Zacchaeus wearing? Is he wearing nice clothing? Is he, you know, is he dressed appropriately to meet Jesus? At this moment, the man realized that maybe this isn't the job for him, he decides to pick up an eraser to try to call the front desk to just let them know that he can't do this anymore. Because the truth is, it's hard to teach God's grace to, to young children. And even if you can get through a lesson, it's hard to know if they actually understand it. But even as children age and they get older, it's still even as hard for those that are in high school, perhaps, to even learn the lesson. Another story goes that a student comes to, to their youth pastor and says, Pastor, I have a class in a couple minutes, and I'm having trouble with the very last question. Uh, I know the teacher's going to ask me about it, and I need to be the one to answer. And it's based on the text, Romans 8, 38 and 39, which I will go to that here. The question, he says to this pastor, is that what is the one thing, okay, and the one thing, one, is emphasized, what is the one thing that can separate you from the love of God. But I look in the text, he says to his pastor, there is nothing there. The pastor says, oh, it is in there. The student says, no, 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 no. I've read this text over and over again. There is nothing there. So the pastor opens his Bible and he reads Romans 8, 38, 39, which says, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the pastor tells the, the, the student, see, the answer is right there. The student says, no, no, it's not. It says a bunch of things that cannot separate you from the love of God, but it doesn't tell you the one thing that can. The pastor says, but that's the answer. It does, it, it's in there, I'm telling you. The student is very frustrated and says, pastor, you've given me nothing here. I need you to give me something so I can fill in this blank. The pastor smiles, I am giving you something, I'm giving you nothing. 
The student asks, what kind of world do you live in where nothing is something? The pastor responds, in the Bible, sometimes something can be nothing. So the student says, when the teacher asks me, what is the one thing that can separate you from the love of God? I'm just supposed to say nothing. Well, no, you have to say something when your teacher asks you a question. Okay, you can't just sit there quietly. So tell me what that is. What comes out of my mouth to them? The pastor looks the boy in the eye, and he says, when you are called upon and asked to answer the question, you are to say nothing. Now, the, the student, clearly frustrated, looks at the pastor and says, how can you be a man of God and not be able to tell me the one thing that can separate me from the love of God? He stood up and he started to walk out, and as he got to the door, he stops and thinks a second, turns around and says, nothing. Nothing is the answer. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He immediately looks at the pastor and says, why didn't you just tell me that in the beginning? And he walks to his class. We don't get it. We believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God, but why is it that we still feel guilty about sins we've committed in the past, or we worry about sins that we might even commit in the future? We know that the grace of God is a free gift because he loves us, but why is it that we feel we need to prove ourselves in order to get that free gift, even though we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which includes his grace? And if you've ever felt that way, don't worry, you're in good company, because even the disciples of Jesus didn't get it. Now, the Bible tells us a very clear-cut story, but a lot of times when you read the Bible and you read about um, Jesus' stories, you just read his, his words. You don't kind of read about what's in between. And I feel like there's some conversation in, in there between the disciples and Jesus afterward. So I'm going to paint another story here for you. So I'm going to add a little bit of detail to it that might kind of fill in the blanks just to help you get the message better. So imagine, if you will, Peter and the other disciples are out fishing, and this is days after Jesus had died and rose again. They're not having any luck, but what else are they going to do with their lives at this point? Then suddenly, they hear a voice from shore saying, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they're probably thinking, who's the fisherman here, the guys in the boat, not this guy on the shore, who is he to tell me what to do? But they don't have anything else to lose, so... On the other side of the boat, the nets go. And the Bible says that the nets were so heavy with fish that they had trouble pulling the, the nets onto the boat. And at that moment, they instantly knew who the person was on the shore. And the Bible says that Peter jumped into the water, and he swam ashore to meet Jesus. Now, again, keep using your imagination, but it says that they shared a meal together. It doesn't talk about much about what they, what they spoke about at this meal, but I feel like when you go and have a meal with somebody, it's probably going to be three, four-hour conversation, perhaps. But in the Bible, it just feels like, no, it only happened in like 10 minutes. You know, Jesus asked Peter a couple questions, and then he moved right along. But let's just kind of go deeper in our imagination here. So they're having a meal together, and Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? 
And I'm sure Peter said, yes, yes, Lord, I, I love you with everything I have. But sometime again, Jesus brings up, Peter, do you love me? And Peter answers again, probably a little bit more serious or maybe questioning, yes, Lord, I love you with everything I am. I will do anything for you. And maybe Peter's thinking, maybe he's asking me about that, the rooster crowing three times and how I ran away. And maybe he feels like, Lord, I'm, I'm so sorry if that's, that, that's what you're talking about because, you know, roosters can be scary sometimes, you know? But Jesus asks one more time, Peter, do you love me? And at this point, the third time, I can imagine Peter saying very seriously to Jesus, words cannot express the love I have for you. I would do anything for you. I love you with everything I am. And at which point, the Bible says, Jesus says that, Peter, feed my sheep. Didn't know Jesus owned any livestock, is maybe what Peter thought. He's probably super confused at this at this point. And like I said, the Bible doesn't say exactly how it was explained to him, but imagine, if you will, Peter being confused about this, this uh, the words that Jesus said, and Jesus decides to say, Peter, do you remember what the women at the well, or women at the tomb were told to tell you? And Peter replies, yeah, they were shouting, he's alive, he's alive. And, and then John and I ran to the tomb, and, uh, you know, if John says that he beat me there, he's lying, you know, I definitely beat him there. I mean, that man should write a book because of the stories he can tell. But when we got there, it was true. Your body wasn't there. And here you are. You're risen. You're standing in front of me. But Jesus asked him again, what exactly did the angels tell the women? Peter says, they said to tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is alive, and it was true. But Jesus asked a third time, what exactly did the women tell you? They said to tell the disciples and Peter and at this point, Peter probably realized that his name was singled out. And this is found in the book of Luke, or maybe it's Mark. I looked it up the other day. I forgot to write it down in my notes. But it is true in that story, in that part of the narrative, it does say, tell the disciples and Peter. Peter was singled out. And I feel that Jesus singled out Peter to remind him that nothing can separate him from the love of God, no matter the guilt that he felt from running away from the rooster crowing. Now, there is one more point that I want to make, and that's the war there's a warning in it. And I think that's pretty clear that nothing can separate you from the love of God and God's grace. But that does not mean you get to do whatever it is you want to do in your life. You can think that it's okay. Don't waste your life thinking that it will be okay in the end, because that's, that's kind of not how it works. So the last story here is, there's a story of an elderly woman who reads the obituaries every day. And when asked why does she do that, she says, I usually do it to see if there's anyone I know in there. But when there isn't, I look to find myself. I know that I'm not dead, she says, but for, I look for myself in other ways. I've done many things in life, things that I am proud of and things I'm not proud of. But when we die, people only talk about the good things you have done. We don't talk about the bad. Even a convicted murderer will still have something said, something nice said about them. 
like they graduated college or they served in the military. Maybe they left behind a family and children. She goes on to say that she looks at the obituaries to find the good things that she has done, the things that people will say about her when she dies. She knows that she knows some of the people who will be at her funeral, and she can assure you that they can say many bad things about her. When her husband died, many people said nice things about him. But she knew the real him. He was a mean person, he was selfish. She says, I read the obituaries to see how my life compares to theirs. Most of the time, she realizes that her life is no different than most of the people around her or the people she reads about. She wonders, have I lived my life? Have I been a good person? Will Jesus say to me, well done, good and faithful servant? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. It doesn't matter if you can remember a sin you committed long ago. It doesn't matter if you ran away from God at one time in your life and you did sinful things and then you came back to him later. All you have to do is just accept him and his promises and what he's done for us. Once you've done that, nothing can separate you from his love and his free gift of grace. Do you get it now?